Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the role of technology and product leaders in shaping the customer experience and how continuous learning and continuous improvement help build great technology and product teams. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Jess Keeney, Chief Product and Technology Officer at Duck Creek Technologies. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about all of this with you. Uh, why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself as well as uh, your role at Duck Creek Technologies. Yeah, absolutely. I've been involved in product development for the majority of my career. It's always been the most fun for me to really educate people on how do we build really great products and what does that look like for the customer experience. And along the way, I decided that that also meant how do I understand all the technology and its constant evolution and so that's how I ended up in a, in a blended role of a product and technology officer here at Duck Creek, um, hoping to sort of revolutionize the insurance technology space. It is a little known fact, though, that I actually started my career as an attorney. So many people don't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and honestly, what I brought with me from the attorney space was really sort of the uh, love of solving problems and sort of a very analytical thought process. What I didn't bring with me from my attorney space is I found it really boring. Um, I love attorneys. I'm married to one, so no hate on the attorneys out there. Um, but for me, it just wasn't enough of technology evolution. Um, and I really, really loved the whole blend of product technology and constant change in the customer space. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, definitely first time we've had a former lawyer now chief product and technology, particularly the blended role, which I think I know we're going to get into uh, as well. So yeah, no, interesting there. So yeah, let's, let's, um, let's get started by talking about leadership in a, in a product organization uh, where leadership can take many forms. Your own career, you know, as you just mentioned, brought you from being a lawyer to product development. You know, how would you characterize, you know, some of those learnings from past roles that have shaped you as a leader today? Yeah, I think the main thing that when I think about what shaped me early on as a leader, it was a lot of my upbringing. Honestly, I had two parents that were public school teachers. I was the youngest in my family. And there was a lot of emphasis on not only academic excellence, but athletic excellence. And so I played a lot of sports. And the team environment and succeeding, winning, or failing as a team um, was a lot of what sort of thrust me into leadership roles early. I ended up sort of by default being the person that sort of rallied the team when things got hard. 
And that sort of carried through into college, into my work experience. And so what that really meant was a lot of times I was asked or I sought out, what are the things that people need leadership? Where do they need to be rallying around a common cause? I naturally gravitate to sort of seek out and fix misalignment. And so you can imagine that that put me sort of always in the forefront of very strategic projects or projects that people might be risk adverse to taking on. Those are the ones that I gravitated towards. And a lot of times I thought that was pretty normal, but I found over the course of my career that it's, it's a rarity that a lot of people think it's too risky to jump in. And that's where I can't help myself, but jump in. And I think it's because I had the experience of sort of being a leader, but also because people enjoy being led. And I like teaching other people to be empowered and to also improve their leadership skills. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really powerful and, and I think it's a unique way of looking at that. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I guess along, along those lines, you know, so you've been a leader of product teams, um, for a while since, you know, since being a lawyer, you know, how have you seen that role of CTO as well as chief product officer evolve over, over your career? Yeah. I mean, I think over the course of my career, it's evolved a lot. I think originally when you thought about product teams or technology teams first, they were much further apart and more siloed than they are today. And I think one of the other things that we've seen sort of as, as technology evolves is you can't have sort of strategy or product in a vacuum and you can no longer sort of pick a technology and hope that it's going to be good for 20 or 30 years. And so I think the level of comfort that people used to have of just sitting on a team and thinking, oh, I'm just like enhancing a feature or I'm going to just take what was already there and keep fixing it is no longer a luxury that you have in the product and technology space. You really do have to be very, very aware of what are the customer trends, what's changing in buying behavior, what's changing in business and enterprise behavior, and also how do you mix that up with what technology is changing and get really good at understanding how do I actually deliver value faster to my customers, which means you have to really take advantage of the technologies that allow you to do that. And so like what I've seen change the most across those areas is just the people that understand, the faster you understand the technology and the value to the customer and put it in a productized format, the more you're going to succeed because you can do that time and time again over and over and you can continue to test and refine your skills at that. Yeah. And is that, in your experience, is that driven kind of, you know, we always, I mean, since the beginning of time, you know, everyone has said, you know, things change quickly and, and, and everything like that. But, you know, is, is some of that need to almost productize the way that products are built uh, to your, to your point, is that driven by things actually accelerating? You know, we've got the move to the cloud, we've got AI, we've got, you know, composable, we've got all of these things that, and that's, you know, really only in the last few years, let alone, you know, if we look a a decade or, or more back, you know, is the rate of change really increasing? In other words, and has that kind of necessitated some of the things that you're talking about? The rate of change for definitely for technology and even consumer trends is definitely increasing. And it's just becoming that much more digestible, honestly, by younger generations. So uh, technology has always been changing. It used to sort of be on a, a five to 10 year sort of hype cycle in terms of by the time it became mainstream. 
But now that is drastically reduced. And you see it because in the sort of consumer patterns, in the younger generations, I have two daughters, a new technology pops on the scene, they will absorb it, know it, learn it, and almost get rid of it within a two-year cycle. That's obviously much slower for a business context, but it still makes it far faster than what we used to see. And so there's the benefit that you have of new technologies coming on the scene, but also the risk of making sure that heavily investing in that technology without understanding the risks to your customer or the potential benefits to your customer, or honestly, the long range value of it is what you have to balance as a product person to really think about whether it's going to be the right investment for you. And if it's going to actually make a valuable difference or a meaningful difference for your business outcomes. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Now let's get back to the show. So next thing I wanted to talk about with you was uh, the role of the chief product and technology officer in shaping the customer experience. So, you know, we've all pretty used a product at one time or another that just felt like maybe the product team didn't understand the end customers. Like they, the code is probably elegant and, uh, and stuff like that, but you know, they're, they're designing and building the product for someone, but not really the end, the end customer. And, you know, so there's a huge disconnect there. What's a product leader's role in building more customer centric experiences? Yeah, I think the product leader's role is really fundamental to understanding what is the actual problem the customer is trying to solve? And that can change by what is happening in sort of the global economic trends, what is also happening in that very specific business. But I think in the SaaS space, what you have to really look at is what are the mega trends happening across and from other industries that are going to impact me? What are the technology changes that are happening How do I understand the innovation that I could consume sort of safely and put in my products? And if it doesn't work out, we can sort of continue evolving the life of the product. And then also really understanding if I solve this problem, how many other customers have this problem and I've just solved it for the masses. And that is really what sort of lies in, I would say, the blend of sort of the art and science here, because many product managers tend to get obsessed about an individual problem and they become so obsessed with that problem that they may not understand it's not a problem for the masses that's gonna help them actually solve it for everyone. Similarly, on the engineering side, engineers are engineers for a reason. They like to build, they like to code. And so the real trouble is making sure that they understand the context of what is the customer trying to solve. The best thing a product leader can do in that space 
is expose your product and engineering teams to the customer problems. Understand, expose them to how the customer is trying to solve the problem today. Look at whether that's actually scalable or going to actually solve their problem in the long term, whether the cost of how they're solving that problem is really going to help them and their bottom line. And the more that they understand about that problem, the more likely they are to actually continue to solve it in the right ways. Yeah. And so, you know, some of that, there, there's certainly ways to help quantify what you're talking about, but also, you know, what about the role of empathy here? You know, it's, it's maybe a little softer term, but you know, what's the role of empathy for, you know, the, someone in your role, you know, both empathy with internal teams that have to do the work and, and build the products, but also uh, those end customers as well. Yeah. You can't, overemphasize how much empathy you need to understand the customer problems. And it's that passion that makes you really good at solving it. And I think at Duck Creek, obviously, we focus a lot on what we call humanized insurance experiences. That's because at the end of the day, we're all in this business because insurance provides protection for people and businesses. And if you're not taking into account what that means for the end customer, you're really not doing your job well enough. And so empathy in the context of solving in the insurance technology space is really understanding not only about, am I making it easy for people to understand the insurance that they're purchasing, but also what does it mean when there is a problem, when people have you know losses to their personal property or their commercial property, how are we being as respectful as we can to help them through that while making sure they can get the answers as quickly and as easily as they need because they understood when they purchased what was in their actual policy and how to make it easier for them to actually submit a claim and understand where they are in the process of receiving information back. And I think we also think a lot about the people that are actually using our systems on the other end, because not only is it about the purchase, the person purchasing, but it's also really about the people that actually have to process the claims are we making it easy for them to find information and respond back to the customer? Are we making sure that both the end user and our carriers, employees, are able to communicate as easily as possible to get information as quickly as they need? And I think all of that says a lot about what it means to work in an everyday basis in the insurance industry. Are we making it engaging for the employees that have to use it at our carriers and also making it easy for the purchasers? And that's really why, because if we do everything that we do, and at the end of the day, we're causing more pain to the humans that actually have to continue to do the business, we haven't done our job well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well said. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about with you kind of goes back to when we we're talking a little bit about the the rate of change and just you know all all of the things that are continually you know whether it's trends that may come and go and you know just because there's a, a new technology doesn't mean that a product team needs to adopt it but you know there there is a a need to learn and, and understand and so you know continuous learning and continuous improvement uh, becomes a really important factor here so you know how do you see the role of continuous learning play in successful product and technology teams? I don't think you can be successful unless you are constantly curious. And I like to say a little uncomfortable at all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you really have to be trying and testing the limits. Obviously, 
You don't want to be trying something brand new at the cost of your customers. But what you do need to make sure is that you are understanding how do we leverage this technologies in a safe way and is it actually going to make a meaningful difference? And so the ability to continue to self-learn, because a lot of people will expect that you're providing a learning path for you, I have found that you can encourage and empower people um, and even provide training, but the people that are best at this are going to seek it out themselves. They're going to be reading, they're going to be educating themselves with podcasts. There's so many different forms of learning these days, Um, and they're getting quicker and shorter and easier. So if you're waiting around for someone to tell you exactly what to learn, you're probably not being curious enough or uncomfortable enough. And you should constantly be looking for how do I get faster ways to learn and understand what that learning will do in terms of my ability to move in my career, but also just understanding and gaining experience generally, because the patterns of personalization, the patterns of continuing to adopt new technologies, as well as the patterns of how do I work better with others, inclusive of my customers, inclusive of my colleagues, that all requires continuous learning. There's no downside to continuous learning. No one has ever said like, oh, I learned too much. It got dangerous, (laughs) you know? Right, right. So I just think that the best way to do that sort of in mass across a lot of people, especially in product development, is to make it okay. You know, there's the old adage of fail fast, but I think it's also failing fast comes with learning constantly. And if you encourage and empower people to be a little bit curious, to make mistakes in a safe environment, they'll keep doing it. And one of the things that I really enjoy is that the more that you do change and make yourself uncomfortable, the more comfortable you get in it. Yeah. And so if you look at people who have continued to do this, try new things, quickly figure out what they can do and what they can't do, they get better and better at it. And it becomes more of a safe environment for everyone in mass. It becomes almost addictive. Everyone around you wants to continue to do it. That's the type of culture that I like to cultivate for products and product development overall. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I love the, I love that you bring up the, uh, it's kind of, you know, being, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I mean, I feel like I've built a career around that personally, at <laughs> least too, in the last too. 10 plus years. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, it's something where, you know, I, I just know from my own experience, like if, if I'm, if I am too comfortable, then I realize that, you know, I'm, I'm stagnating or, you know, I'm, I'm just not pushing myself because, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, that's, uh, so I, I think it's good and not, not everyone gravitates towards that, of course, but I can speak from my own experience where, yeah, you know, 10 plus years ago, I might not have felt the same way that I do now, but it's, it's, a, it's like a muscle that you kind of exercise and when it gets stronger, then it becomes, I'm not a runner, but like I've, you know, familiar with the the concept of like runner's high and like this, this idea, you almost get addicted to, to something that's actually not bad for you, you know? So it's, it's something like that. And so, yeah, I think um, it's, uh, you know, how do you, you know, you touched, you touched a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the ethos that you try to instill, but how does this, how does this work practically? Like what, what are some things that you do, you know, for those leaders out there listening that, that want to kind of instill that in their teams, like what's, what's a way that they might start in, you know, just getting people to be a little more, more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's easier now um, when you think about 
a lot more of the workforce is working remotely. Yeah. And it, it might sound like it's harder to connect with people, but there's this weird upside to it, which is the majority of people are working in some environment where everyone is just like one chat away. And yeah. so one of the things that I think is really empowering and it it has a profound impact, but people don't think about it is if you can start removing all of these sort of historical when we worked in a physical environment, there was very much like, a, oh, the boss sits in an office over there and there's a door and it's hard to get to them because there's multiple levels of leadership. That's just no longer true anymore. And it shouldn't be true if you really want to empower sort of the voices of the masses and really get people to feel comfortable because shutting down one person, shutting down one idea or making them go through, you know, a couple levels to get to someone to say, Hmm, that's a great idea. Like let's, let's explore it more or let's pull together a team or let's think about it. Yeah. And so a lot of times it's just, how are you understanding communication? What are the patterns of communication that are happening in your organization? How do you foster making sort of deliberate connections across people that wouldn't necessarily be sitting in a room together? How do you encourage uh, people cross-functionally getting together? And that can be a blend of you know different levels. It can be a blend of functions. It can be a blend of just pairing people up randomly to try to solve a problem so that they get they, there's no risk in their ideas coming out. And the more people feel comfortable surfacing those ideas with people that they haven't before, they just get more comfortable actually brainstorming, innovating, and thinking about things that they wouldn't have in their normal day. They're not just coming in and doing the same old thing every single day. It sort of lights them up and makes them think, I could have ideas. I could talk to other people. I wonder who or how we would think about this idea. Let me go talk to these people I would never have thought to talk to before, and I can in sort of even any sort of safe environment I want, whether it's over a Teams chat, whether it's over Slack message, whether it's actually saying, hey, we live in the same state or the same city. Could you want to go out for coffee and have a conversation about it? Or let's do a remote lunch on camera and figure out what we can do with this idea. It's a very safe environment, honestly, for people that these might have been terrifying ideas for in person previously. Yeah, yeah, no, lo love, love the way you think about that. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here, and it kind of building on on the last one as as well as some of uh, the other things that we've talked about. So, you know, this shows, you know, we're we're at the beginning of twenty twenty four here, new year ahead. You know, what's a what's a piece of advice that you'd have for leaders out there, leaders of product teams that you know know they need to innovate, um, want to want to try to find some ways to, to innovate with their teams as they navigate the months ahead? Yeah, I would say treat innovation just like you would any other priority. If you don't have an entire work stream dedicated to what should be in our innovation funnel, what ideas are making it through on our product development roadmap, and what, how are we actually treating that just like any other business priority? Then you should. That's one, because I feel like sometimes people think innovation is like magic and sparkles that can only be cooked <laughs> up, you know? Right. Um, and it's not. It's, it's a muscle just like everything else that you have to exercise. So if you don't have sort of a formal program of how it works throughout your system, you should. And the other thing is, obviously, with Gen AI right now, we are in the middle of a huge, potentially revolutionary, I wouldn't even say potentially, honestly, revolutionary technology change. Yeah. 
And so it is the right time for you to be thinking about how many different areas of your business could be impacted by that, how many different lives can be improved because we're not having people manually reading documents and comparing the differences, right? We actually have technology that can do that. What could those people be doing that could be far more strategic to your business and start really investing in some proof of concepts or some work streams to focus on it? Because you don't want to be the person that was left behind and missed. And there's so many different vendors that can make it so easy for you to get started and go down that path. Those are my two pieces of advice. Yeah, love it. Again, I'd like to thank Jess Keeney, Chief Product and Technology Officer at Duck Creek Technologies for joining the show. You can learn more about Jess and Duck Creek Technologies by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website, or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, They craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.